Welcome back to another episode of the TD Pod. I am Travis Roeder here with my co-host Jeff Davis. We were recording at 0600 hours on this Wednesday, September 6th, about uh, four days after Texas State kicked Baylor's teeth in, and about, I guess that would be, what, one, two, three, three days before they have to face off against Utah. You know, seven days in a week, so I guess if it's four, it has to be three. That's good math there, Travis. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, it's been an interesting. This is this has been as interesting of a period um, for me as a Baylor fan. I guess actually, Baylor fandom has been pretty crazy for the past decade. So probably only in just a few years. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, obviously, the the end of the Browles era was its own insane period, and then uh, the entire rule period uh, from one win to six wins to making the Big Twelve title game was a pretty crazy three year period there. So. And then obviously uh, the Saranda period has had its own ups and downs, but this last four days or so, um, being on the boards at Sikkim three six five, and just the variety of text uh, messages and and other things that I've received from friends and family and stuff over the last four days, it's a it's been an interesting period uh, because that was certainly while I expected Texas State to be very good on offense, um, or I don't even know if I should say very good, I expected them to be good and really put up a challenge. Uh, nobody expected what we saw this past Saturday. Yeah, I, yeah, I, the, it's, it's a definitely, it's going to be an interesting next six weeks. Um, I, the, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the Dave Miranda era is going to come down to really, I think until about mid October, um, just from looking at the team, I, I, I definitely have some, um, probably some, some contrarian views to, I think a lot of what I've heard on the board, um, from a, with a little that I've read and, uh, on the board and then a lot of the text messages and phone calls I've kind of gotten. Um, so it's, I'm looking forward to talking about that, but I, I agree with you. It's going to be a very interesting next, um, six weeks, um, either in a good way or a bad way. It's just, it's going to be hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I mentioned before the season, um, I know I put this out in a tweet and I know I talked about it on three, six, five was, you know, Baylor could have a really solid team this year and still go two and three in the first five games. And that was if they had a solid good team i mean because you're looking at home games against utah and uh texas and then at ucf they're by vegas even if baylor was a solid top 30 team uh by vegas lines they would not be favored in any of those games and so um and now we're kind of at the polar opposite end of the spectrum where it's like <laughs> baylor could go one and five uh obviously after what happened against texas state and i think undoubtedly if they play really even anything close to the way they played uh, against Texas State they almost undoubtedly will go one and five in their first six so I think you're right Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me but am I right Jeff that by the time we get to the Tech game which is Baylor's sixth game I believe then there's a bye week after that is that right do you know that off the top of your head yes it is that's correct yeah the Tech is on October 7th which is half the season is over by the seventh, which is really weird to think about. Right. And then they at Cincy two weeks after that, which I guess would be at the 21st. Um, so yeah, that's there's getting to getting to that tech game and getting to that bye week is, is going to be crucial. Like that's, yeah, that's the, the Aranda era is really the next, the next 30 calendar days. No doubt. No doubt. And, um, yeah, I, I, I listened to the, the BearCast with Craig Smoke and Grayson Grunhaver yesterday, and, and I messaged Craig afterwards because both of them were pretty uh, strong in their opinion, and, and I don't mean this because they're wrong or because I'm right, but this is kind of just how I feel about it. They were both pretty strong in the idea that Aranda, even if things go terribly, could not uh, it will not get fired midseason. And I messaged Craig, and I said, 
you know, if Baylor's one in five, including a really bad home loss to Tech, um, and then into a bye week, I think that's where you could, I would bet on it happening then. Of course, there's not really any point in kind of really delving into that at this point, but the point is to point it out in the sense of, as you've mentioned, Jeff, that the next, the next 30 days is, is what matters. Um, it's, it's where things are going to be decided. Things could be radically different one or two weeks from now, uh, or things could look much the same. And so, uh, the point is kind of, we know what the, where the trial period is coming and it's, it's coming over this next month yeah uh they're just it's yeah what you just said it's i I know i spoke a lot in the offseason about talking about um organizational competence and like this is this is the dave aranda team this is the dave aranda experience and we're going to get the full effect of that in this season and so that's you know, one one game is not always a great way of, of judging it one way right. or the other. I think that this game, it leaves an extra sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because of what, what came off of at the end of last season. So we're kind of looking for a bit of a, is there a life there? I think is how, how a lot of fans look at it and say it is. Is there a life? Yeah. A competent team. And we're going, I mean, we're going to, we're just going to know that four of the next five games are against real opponents. Um, Two of them are against teams that they should be able to beat like pretty handily. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that I saw this past week that would make me think that Baylor should not be able to beat both UCF and Tech, you know, pretty handily to be, to be frank. Um, And so when I, when I look at what I saw Saturday and when I look at what the upcoming schedule is, you know, I think a realistic expectation for me would be that this team is three and three with no embarrassing losses at, you know, at the buy. If they're, if they're at that point, I think this team can do that. The question is, you know, will they do that? Because they just, they haven't shown anything like that. You know, if you go back, if we, if we go back, the, the thing that's really interesting about Dave Aranda's teams right now is, and this was true. This was definitely true last year as well. Which is they don't. They're very and they they feel to me very inconsistent from a, on a week to week basis. And I don't I don't always know why that is. But yeah. when you flash back to last year, you know they had a dominant performance against Texas Tech and Lubbock, and that was a game where you and I and some of our friends, you know, we were talking about that game and thought that that was just that was going to be a game that Baylor probably had no chance in. It was a good, it was a big night game. You know, Mahomes was going to be there or he was there. Um, Joey had pointed that out. It was going to be on national TV. Like this was going to be a big coming out party and Baylor went up there and beat the shit out of them. I mean, there's not a way to put it. I mean, Baylor on beat the line the- of scrimmage, a polar opposite experience of what we just saw in the, this most uh, recent week. Yep. And they just went up there and then they did that. And then they, you know, they played, great against Oklahoma and they turned back around and played were um, they, sorry. And then they turned right back around and they, I thought they outplayed TCU. I still, to this day, will tell anyone that I thought TCU There's, was Jeff, you're missing, you're missing the Kansas state home experience in between those weeks, which is, that's what I think talking, the ultimate like, <laughs> the Kansas state's like crashes down and you come right back and you have the TCU game. And it's, it's, it's just this very where does this come from. Yeah. Yeah. Where does it come from? It's just so all over the place. Comparatively speaking, it does not feel consistent really in any, in any way, shape, form or fashion. And so you get like just going through those games of tech beat down, beating Oklahoma crushed by K state were, two possessions better than TCU in that game. And mm-hmm. they just couldn't 
figure out how to put that game together competitive against texas and then non-competitive against air force and it's just well that is not so, 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 sort of competitive against texas but yes i understand you're going off memory here i understand yeah uh, but it's just so it's so all over the place on a week to week basis. Yeah. And so it's not like it wouldn't, I'm going to tell y'all like anyone listening right now, if it wouldn't surprise me at all, if at two thirty on, on Saturday, Baylor has beaten Utah by 10 points. I mean, it really would. And I, I just, it, it's very, the thing that Aranda has to figure out and this is what we will for sure know in the next few weeks. And this is the single thing I care about more than more than individual performance or organ or um, unit performance or how many points they put up or how many points they allow. Is there a consistency per player across the organization on a week to week basis? Like that is the missing component yeah. that I see right now. Um, because when we talk about the actual football of last Saturday, there were some big negatives. There were also a lot of like really huge positives. Like you, I can see the growth in this team, and if the schedule was flipped, I would feel very different around this season. They clearly need a lot of time to gel on the offensive line. Um, offensive line performance was not good is the optimistic way to put that. Um, but I, I see the shades of a good unit if, and I say this very strongly, if I felt confident in the growth, that the growth we saw in 2021 was replicable in this season. And that's what we haven't seen. And that's 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 my biggest concern is that the 2021 growth that we saw was a, was a remnant of the senior leadership on that team. And that's not something that we could expect this year because right. – have those senior leaders i don't know that that's true or not but we have two seasons of it not being true and one season of it in, of it being true and of course this past week with some of the effort that was being put forth uh def- on the defensive line i'll just say that um, by some players and the lack of consistency really at the offensive line level i mean that just there was a We'll talk. I guess we'll talk more. Let's go and get into that. Let's go and get into that because those are the three areas that I saw. Jeff, that I, let me let me. I want to I want to address a couple more things before we get to the yeah, game, if, if you don't yeah. mind. Um, but there's two things, major things. Uh, I just wanted to, um, you know, continue off what you were talking about with the consistency thing uh, into last season, in the sense of w- what you're mentioning there is why I think fans, and especially on, on you know what I've seen from on on three six five. There has been this uniform idea um, in a way I haven't really seen in the sense of like everyone recognizes that consistency of an organization is ultimately on the CEO, right, which in college football is the head coach. And so I think that is why we're finally seeing um, a lot of questions about Aranda's job security and in a way that we haven't before. And again, you know, kind of publicly opining about somebody's job is awkward. It's a little it's a little weird. But ultimately, I think that is why we're seeing that it's not just the loss, because as some people have pointed out, it's like, you know, Kansas State lost to Tulane last year in the opening game. It's not it's not just the loss. It's 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 the it's the it's the way in which it looks as if a, a continuation of the same problems that were purported to be solved over this past offseason. I think that's an important point. And the other thing I want to just at least bring up before uh, we get into the game itself is that, Jeff, you were not at the the game, correct? Uh, you, you had to watch it on TV. So, um Actually, I'll say that I actually didn't even watch it until uh, Monday all the way through. Right. Uh, I was, yeah. 
And so I, I think that I actually kind of like that for this perspective because I think you know I've made several posts about this on 365. Um, what a lot of fans are responding to um, is not it, – it's the way in which the on-field performance kind of ties into their gripes with how the program has looked for the past five or so years in the sense of – you know, it's kind of like a running joke that every offseason there's going to be like a hundred threads on tailgating and how fans are complaining about tailgating, right? And then the 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 in-game production as far as the music that's played and the the videos and the band, like all that kind of stuff. And you can see that as ancillary and not important to the product on the field. But I think it's been interesting to see how it's all been tied together in the sense of the team has looked like it's playing without juice. And a lot of fans, I think, are responding to the idea of it. It feels like a program without juice right now. And I don't bring that up for necessarily to – I don't think we have any answers to that. But I do think um, that is a, a, another aspect of the story that I think it's important. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily ancillary. I mean, ultimately, winning cures all, right? But I think there's a reason that this is all kind of bubbling up to the surface at the same time right now. Jeff, I know, Jeff, you have a lot more – people that are into tailgating and all that kind of stuff necessarily than, than I do. But um, I, I think that's an important component to things because the last thing I'll say on this before we dive into the game, um, I felt a level of indifference and um, kind of shrug your shoulders attitude during the game that I've never really felt uh, as a Baylor fan before. And my wife felt the same way. And if I'm feeling that way, somebody who like talks about Baylor football literally every day of the year, <laughs> um, you know, imagine how your average fan feels. And so I think there's a lot of kind of that undercurrent stuff that's going on currently that, again, we're not going to provide any answers to, but I think it's important to bring that up because that is as much about what's going on as the feeling in the fan base right now as anything else. Yeah, I, that's that's a very interesting topic to me because I – I I'm on a I'm on a couple of sides of this. Like I will tell like my my love of Baylor football hasn't diminished, but my enthusiasm for college football really has the last mm-hmm. two years. Right, and I don't actually I for me personally I have thought about this a decent amount. It, this it's not really Baylor related. I think it has a lot more to do with um, to be frank, like realignment, um, and not to get too far off on that that tangent but i find myself watching significantly more pro sports and i really don't watch college sports at all unless baylor's involved at this point i could just it's very rare for me to pay attention to a game that's not baylor in the last two years because you know i know that this is a this is kind of a very weird thing to say because we're so excited about the new big 12 and that it's great from a um great from a monetary perspective and from a marketing perspective that baylor is still in a major um and hopefully thriving in a major conference, but it also is not anything I really care about, which is a, which is definitely an interesting dichotomy to, to think about because I'm not like, I'm just not motivated by Utah as a regular season game. I'm motivated by Utah as a, as a non-conference game, but I'm not motivated by Utah as a conference game. Um, and so like, I have felt my, I have felt my, um, middle ageness is probably the correct word combined with, um, the realignment changes of just not being as invested, quite frankly, as I have been for really my entire life. You know, I, when I look down at the home schedule, there's Utah and there's Texas and there's Texas tech, but like looking ahead at like what's coming up in the near future is not something that's nearly as interesting to me as for example, tailgating in 2004 with Texas A&M or, you know, some of the games. And so I, I think I, I do have some friends that have tailgated for a long time. We've we've had a tailgate that it's been um, 
going around. It's the well, my fantasy football group. Um, it's now 12 people strong and no one is any good at the league. But um, but that like that is starting to fade away a little bit. But I also don't know that that's necessarily has anything to do with winning yeah. or to do product on the field. I think that a thing that people don't, I think a thing that people, and this is something that Mac Rhodes is going to have to be very careful with, which is there is a difference. Like at a certain level, if you, as long as you win, everything else takes care of itself. That works if you're at a school that has enough size to overcome right basically the inertia of a six and six season yes so if you're in alabama the only thing that matters is that you win and we know this because nick saban does literally this was something that he famously did when he went to alabama he didn't do anything that he doesn't do any of the normal football stuff like normal head coaching stuff he doesn't do all the lunches he doesn't do all the talks he doesn't set up you know, prior to NIL, he wasn't going around and glad-handing car dealerships all over the state of Alabama. You couldn't get a call with him. Like, people actually really hated him his first season there because they thought that he was an arrogant asshole because he refused to take meetings with boosters. He said, like, I'm here to do football. I'm not here to do any of the other stuff that you associate with being the head right. coach at Alabama. Right. Um, and, of course, it works the only thing that nick saban does in his spare time is play golf literally by himself he has a mandatory no other people are allowed within him when he goes to the golf course like <laughs> spread it out so that he doesn't he's actually has time alone on the course to himself and that like because he you know that's how he operates they don't have to worry about a budget well that's not baylor like that baylor doesn't have that many people it's not it's a different it's a different fan base and so the question that mac Rhodes and only Rhodes is going to know this is it does it get to the point where the supposed lack of enthusiasm is that just a byproduct of not winning enough or is that a real issue with the head coach i don't know the answer to that yeah. um one thing i wish i i you know i'm always going to be a little soft for randa because i i definitely have a soft spot for him in terms of i recognize his intellectual abilities and i he is he's someone that i'm probably more similar to personality wise than any head coach that baylor has ever had i don't think that's an exaggeration and so i, I naturally have a soft spot for the guy and i want him to succeed um, but there is a level of leadership that comes along with being the CEO where you can't be so introverted within yourself and you can't be so locked inside your own head and that you can't, um, that you can't perform the tasks that are really required for the job. And I don't, I don't want to accuse the man of not being able to do that, but when you, when you have his personality and when you are so good one-on-one, -on -one, which he is, I mean, I, I know people that will tell you that he's like a savant one-on-one -on -one with kids and with individuals, like they just love him. But there's a difference between being able to do that and be able to, being able to steer an organization that's 150 people into yeah. last Saturday. And so if, if they, if he can push it over the line and kind of pull them together over the next six weeks, then I think that that's, you know, fans are going to have a very different mindset. But I don't, does he have enough of the rah-rah? You know, you, I, I think I sent you one other, I guess one other closing point is I, I watched a little bit of the Tech game. I actually think that he, he and Joey kind of really cracked me up because I think they have a very similar problem from opposite ends, which is Joey, like, 
watching that Wyoming game and the little bit that I did, like the idea that Joey would have pushed them in such a way that their goal was going to be the win the Big 12 title is like never rooted in reality. Like there's that team is not anywhere close to that. And so he blew up that team in such a way that, you know, they lost to Wyoming and I have tech fans that have texted me asking me if like, should we fire this guy? Because clearly he doesn't know talent because look at him. Like he's talking about going to the big 12 title game and like, this isn't here. Like what is going on? And on the exact opposite approach, you know, Aranda is, um, I think you and I both heard that they were concerned that this performance was out there, that, that Aranda had talked about this for a while um, in the summer, which was they had these great practices and they just could not get it. Like when they went across the river, was his saying, like when we go across the river to the, to the stadium, it just doesn't, it doesn't show up on our simulated games. Like it's just not there. And you and I both heard, I think from different people that basically Aranda and the staff were not really surprised by this because this was a pretty common performance compared to what they had seen when they went, when they translated it from practice where they looked yeah. so good and they did the simulated games and they looked so bad. I want to pro- quick, just quickly interject, Jeff. Uh, the, the way I heard it phrased was the same issues that they knew they had with the team reared their heads, but at, at a level that they didn't think would, you know, be, at, at, a, at a level, at a level of, catastrophic that they didn't think would be that bad, if that makes sense. So the, the issues were there. They just didn't know, you know, that's the thing we've talked about so many times for a coach. You never know what kind of team you have until you play somebody else. Yeah. And so like that, when I think about that, then I go back and think of, well, you know, he, uh, he, Aranda, I, he was on, I think the Rudy's coaches show. I can't, I, I can't ever get yes. the spot for these things, but the Rudy's coaches show and someone asked him, you know, how, what's one word you would just use to describe the team. And he said, ready. Well, you should have underplayed that more. Like yeah. you should, you should have. If you didn't know and you were concerned, you should have set your expectations better. Yep. And that's there's a reason why there's a reason why you know great coaches go around praising UTEP to the heavens as the greatest team since like you know the mid seventies USC teams where it's like oh no like we can't possibly beat UTEP and you know you go out there and you beat UTEP. <laughs> seven scores but there's a reason why you do those things which is it's it helps set expectations with a with a fan base that in particular in college football really has no idea and that's that's the reality that we do like for most of us we genuinely have no idea like you and i are more plugged in than 99.9 percent of baylor fans and we didn't really know yeah and we like it's still it's still at the end of the day like you just don't really know until you see the first game and aranda like for all the stuff that Joey overinflated, like Aranda had the opposite approach of which he was, he's so focused on the team itself that he did not manage. I, I think, I don't think he did a good job at all in managing expectations when you don't know what the team is going to be yet, which he should have done. And that if I had a bit, the biggest meta criticism I would have of him from a program standpoint is that he didn't do those things. He should have been out there saying, you know, look at our schedule, our goal, you know, you're not going to say you're going to go three and three, but it's also Aranda. Aranda's very literal. He's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. So mm-hmm. he should have come out and said, you know, we're really, we're really struggling in, in 
at the safety level, or excuse me, at the linebacker level and at the offensive line level. But, you know, we have a lot of new guys. It's going to take a few weeks to gel. Our goal is to, like, be, you know, really in, in a good spot by the second half of the season. If he had said a lot of that stuff prior to the season, then I think that would have gone a long way towards tamping down some of the, like, what the F is going on here. Right. Because texas state when the reality is we could look up and texas state could be a 10-win team and we look back and go oh yeah because i see a, i see several individual inflection points in this game that kind of all went against baylor oh yeah and it, it's easy for me to see a different version with just a little bit more luck where baylor wins this thing like sure. pretty because the metrics were actually pretty positive for baylor in this game which is another really weird thing to say yeah i mean in some ways yes but that's that is why i did the preamble because we will start talking about the game here in just a minute uh that is why i did the preamble about the energy and everything else because i really do think this is a situation to where even if monterey baldwin you know runs a sharp route and catches that touchdown and then sort robertson leads a touchdown drive to win the game i you know would fans be as mad of course not like at the end of the day the loss matters but i think there would be a similar level of something's wrong here um because you know and jeff and this is why i brought the fact up that you weren't at the game it's not that you're not allowed to opine on this but the feeling the feeling of when you're there I know you've been at many games before, probably high school, college, uh, of all examples of where you know the other team feels and is acting like they're better than the home team. Um, Texas State was playing with more energy, passion, drive, toughness, like all of these things that create good football teams. And so I think kind of regardless of, uh, you're right. I mean, uh, if five or six things, you flip a coin the other way, Baylor might have eked out a win there, or one by one score or something like that. But um, that to me is what it, it, to me and I think a lot of other fans are what they're responding to is this idea of like why did this team who has a brand new coach and 50 new players come in here and not just act like they were better than us but like actually kick us into submission and so um, yeah let's let's just get into the game now there's there's a lot of other points I want to make up well actually okay one final very very quick last point um, the th- one thing that disappointed me this this week is that I, I, <laughs> Aranda mentioned how he didn't mention he doesn't feel any pressure, and I think this would have been a good time. But at the same time, you can't ask somebody to be who they're not. But it didn't feel like Aranda's Monday presser was really anything different than if they had won the game or if they had won a big game or anything like that. And that's part of his strength, I guess, is that he's kind of never too high or too low. But I really think this is a moment where the fan base needed to feel a jolt in the sense of no things are going to be different, like all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's asking too much as a fan and that's not who he is and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that would have been big. So I guess Jeff kind of respond to that and then we'll and then we'll get into the game. Yeah, I so in this case, in this case, I actually do think he probably was correct because I, going back to my thing on on trying to manage manage the fan base, like there's a world in which they get beat by like 20 or 30, like three or four possessions against Utah. Like if it, you know, if it goes, it's, it's pretty easy to see. <laughs> yeah, and no so doubt. the, um, oh, um, so, oh yeah, I remember saying now, sorry, I'm going back. I'm old now. So I'm going like way into the, into the way back machine for my, um, anecdotes. But the anecdote for this is, uh, Don Nelson in like 2002, 2003 was the head coach of the Mavs. And they had this game where it was like mid-November and they rolled out and they, it was like on the second night of a back-to-back and they rolled out and they, you know, they got to the first half and they were down by like 30 points at the half. 
and they rolled out into the second half and promptly ended up losing by 50. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I, it was actually, it was, I think it was about 40 points. And someone asked him after the game, asked Don Nelson, and said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you pull out the halftime speech? Why didn't you go to the big guns? And the guy in the Don Nelson looked at him and said, um, halftime speeches are like a six shooter. You only have six of those in a season. I wasn't going to waste them on a game we probably weren't going to win. And I've always loved that line because it's a little bit like if you're a writer and you hear the phrase, like, you only have 10 exclamation points in your entire life. And I use them in text messages with my wife. So I'm, I'm out of exclamation points. But, you know, when it comes to those big statements, like, you have to be able to back it up. Yeah. Like, you have to be able to back it up. And home against Utah with the issues that they showed this past week would not be my time to like put the yeah. stake. Down no, 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 that, that's really not what Maybe. I meant. I don't mean I hear it. Arthur type things. So yeah, that's really, I, it's not really what I meant. Um, I, I guess I more meant just kind of in the idea of like, you know, he talked a lot about how the, their message to the team has been like, you are not what you put on tape. We know you're better, which is like that to me almost is doing what you're saying, Jeff, in the sense of setting the expectation of what happened was yeah. an aberration. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like I would rather be like, at the end of the day, we came to these guys and told them oh, whatever just happened was not, like, you know, like kind of the opposite side. And so, of course, everyone can kind of analyze from the outside how they would do things. And but to me, it kind of just rubbed me the, the wrong way a little bit in the sense of like, well, we've been struggling with inconsistency for a few years now. So at the end of the day, well, maybe these guys are what they're doing on the field and not like, you know, this constant message of like, you are better than this, you are better than this. But again, that's easy for me to say because the head coach's job, the position coach's job is to get the best out of their players. And ultimately they have to, you know, make that decision for how to, you know, as we talked a lot this offseason, you know, how you get the most out of these young kids in today's environment where you can transfer and all that kind of stuff is its own ball game. So, uh, but it, it, I don't know, from the outside, it wasn't quote unquote how I would have handled it, but I, I have no idea how I would have handled it because I'm not a football coach. I never have been. And dealing with young guys like this is probably extremely difficult. So anyway, uh, let's, let's get into the game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll very quickly kind of recap where I'm at, Jeff, and then let you kind of talk about the offensive line for 29 minutes or something. Um, but, uh, you know, when I rewatch the game, um, kind of in the theme of you don't know what you have until uh, you're on the field, I'll start with the positives in the sense that um, a huge a huge topic of concern going into the season was will the wide receivers be good enough to allow Shapen and the run game to kind of operate and, and become a full-fledged offense? And then would the corners and the defensive backs be so bad that it, um, you know, teams can kind of pick them apart on the back end uh, because the receivers really got the better of the corners throughout most of spring and fall ball. And I think what we actually learned is that the corners are pretty good and the receivers are just really good. Um, and that might be a little bit of an overreaction against Texas state, but I think I feel pretty good about that. And then it's so, yeah, and so I think that I feel good about the skill talent overall, uh, corners, wide receivers, running backs, um, quarterback, obviously, too. Um, the focus for me really turns to, obviously, offensive line was disastrous. I'll let you focus on that. Um, defensive line what wasn't quite as disastrous as offensive line, but from a um, from an expectation standpoint in the fact that the defensive line is basically all upperclassmen seniors that have been there done that for them to get pushed around by by an offensive line that was mostly in fcs last year and then um 
so that was really concerning. And then ultimately, ultimately, what is really, really concerning to me is the the star player. I know one of the things we talked about in the offseason is can Baylor's defense function without great player at star? Um, well, at least not if you're playing against 10 personnel and they just spread you out and just throw to the inside receiver every play. Uh, they've got to get that figured out. Uh, I know I kind of just kind of talked about every little position there, but um, you know, basically, I, I think to kind of recap there, when I rewatched the game, the the uh, wide receiver, cornerback, running back, quarterback were all very good, and then kind of basically every other position I thought struggled to different degrees. Uh, what was your kind of overall takeaway from from watching the game? Um, so I'll do the negatives first. Um, the <laughs> Linebacker play is what stood out to me first and foremost. The uh, that they couldn't fit counter, they couldn't fit counter. They they were very very hesitant in pulling the trigger, and that's just the the defense is designed. The defense is designed to free up the two move linebackers and to let those guys just absolutely attack. Yeah, that's and, why the defensive linemen play in front of them in a way that yeah, you know, as you were saying, it allows yeah. the guys to play free behind them. Yeah. And so I, I, the, I actually thought the defensive line performance was not as like the when I you know when I was getting text Saturday night I was envisioning these guys getting pushed like ten yards off the ball every play or something like that and the, I mean that did happen a couple of times it's also you know early September and it's stupid hot on the river and so that that it wasn't a great performance but I was not I when I watched it when I watched it on Monday my first thoughts were. Um, that this was not as it wasn't as bad as I had thought that linebacker play was not good and that there is an issue that those guys have right now with trusting basically trusting their reads as Aranda would say they're not playing green they're, they're definitely playing yellow there were I mean countless countless being you know 20 to 30 plays that I can remember where Basically, the defensive line had a play fitted up correctly, and if a linebacker executes where they're supposed to be, it's a one-yard gain, and instead it's a five-yard gain because they're too slow getting into the gap. And the uh, y'all can't see my hands, but the running back basically gets through. When you when you play the the gap control style that our defensive line plays or Baylor's defensive line plays, you don't have a lot of momentum when the when the running back actually makes contact with you. And so there's a lot of, like, taking defensive, defensive linemen along for the ride because the, it's the linebacker's job to step up and to stop the momentum in, the, in that hole and that the, the, um, the linemen are secondary hitters in the run game. And so because their responsibility first and foremost is the offensive lineman in front of them. And so there were a lot of plays where it looked like the running back would get into an defensive lineman and then take these guys for like two extra yards and they'd be like a first and 10 and it should have been a one year, one to two yard gain and it ended up, ends, up, ends up at second and five or second and four because the linebackers are just too hesitant in pulling the trigger or they're out of position in the box. Um, that was that was constant on Saturday night. And that was the defensively, that was my biggest takeaway, which is I don't know that is going to improve and it will improve rapidly but this is also kind of a downside of relying on transfers you can get a little bit too far in the other direction is when you have something that's relies almost on the instinctual abilities of your linebackers those those guys have to perform almost immediately and so if we if you go back and look at um doyle in was it 2020 2020 
you know, yeah, Doyle he was not would, good. Yeah. He was not good that first that first month. And by the by November he was I thought I thought Baylor's best in, you know, particularly I think Bernard went down in November. Um mm-hmm. but the by the time that like I remember like the game before uh Bernard went down, he was playing I thought like, that yeah, he was just good as yeah, it just it's going to take time, and so both those linebackers, I look at them, and well, particularly Smith is really the guy that I would point out. But you could see you could see it coming. It's just not there yet. Well, real and, quick, Jeff, he's been practicing against the wide zone ever since he's been here. Yeah. Where all he has to do is say, "Is the ball going left or right?" You know, does the offensive lineman go left or right? And that was something that I brought up pregame that. A huge reason I thought that Texas State was going to score a lot in this game was, A, I think their offense is good. They have good talent. Yeah. and But, B, you really – like, it is impossible, especially if you didn't play the game. And I don't mean to play that pull that card in the sense of you can't have an opinion if you haven't played the game. But it, it's really impossible to describe how different it is to be a defender when you've been facing the wide zone for nine months as opposed to – the Texas state scheme where, you know, guys are standing outside the numbers and then they're running counter, which Baylor like doesn't pull offensive linemen. Like they literally don't. So obviously you're doing this in the week game week practice rep, but all of your angles, all of your instincts for like what you're looking for to trigger, it's a total 180. And so I do think that is one reason we can expect though, as you're talking about Jeff, to see some improvement is just getting more reps against those looks. And, and that is what is, that's what I've always found very interesting about the college game. It's like, you have to defend the triple option one week and then the Brile spread the next week. And so it's really, really tough on these kids uh, with only a couple practices. So I think it's important to bring up just how 180 these offenses are from one another and how that could have created a lot of issues for the defense in game one. Yeah. And I, I you know, my take on what Utah does is, is Baylor's going to have a better, is going to have an easier time defending Utah than I think they did Texas State. Yeah. Um, and, and, but that, so that, but looking at that specifically, like the linebacker play to me was the biggest issue defensively because the, there was a, there were some issues at safety. There were, but I, a lot of what I saw at safety was, and we'll, we'll get into this, I think a little bit when we, when we do offensive line, I think it was trying to, the safety is a lot of trying to make the guy in front of you, right? Like you're a make right guy, like whatever this, whatever the linebacker does, your responsibility, no matter how stupid the linebacker is, and this, that's an exaggeration. I'm talking like a coach would say, like, no matter what stupid shit the linebacker in front of you does, your job is to make him right. If he runs off the sidelines to, like, give his mom a hug in the middle of the play, your job is to make him right and make sure he, he made the right play. Like, I could just hear that speech from 13 defensive coaches that I've heard in my, that I've had my entire life. And, um, except with a lot more vulgarity, but, uh, your job is to make, is to make the guy in front of you right, and so in this case, what the safeties did not do, or so what the safeties had to do was the safeties were having they were not able to commit to the bit because what the biggest issue that I saw with the linebacker at the linebacker level was hesitancy, and so they're waiting for these guy the play to basically come to them rather than attacking. That hesitancy puts your safeties in a, some very difficult positions because they're really reading where you're going where you on are, a wall. Yeah. yeah. And so, if you're not committing to the ball, they can't commit to the ball. And so, if they're wa- if your if your linebackers are waiting too long to commit it to a specific spot, then your safeties are going to be out of position almost on every run play or every play that that happens because they're watching you and they're watching the ball as a secondary as a secondary hitter until you commit. And so, a lot of what I saw from in terms of being out of position was just 
normal great college athletes not being superhero level like ed reed type athletes or jalen petrie type athletes like we're not we can't expect that i mean jalen petrie's a captain on the texans and he's one of the 10 best safeties in the nfl and he's you know that's not we're not baylor fans are not gonna we're not gonna be able to have that at a defensive secondary level um on a year in year out basis like most of the guys there are great normal great college athletes and those guys like the linebackers have to commit earlier rather than later. And that's what I saw with the safety issue. Um, the I was actually pleasantly surprised by outside cornerback play. I, I just, I, I really was, to be honest. Like, was it great? I mean, no, no, it wasn't. But was it better than I expected it would be? Yes. I mean, it was. Like, I, I, I that actually gave me some hope for the rest of the year that if they're able to get that performance out of, the cornerbacks that we saw in a very difficult scheme for your corners. Um, I just, I was more, I, I, I I was anticipating a possible like into 2020 situation where it's just, or a 2017 offensive line situation where you just, you, you couldn't be competitive with some of those guys, you know, and that wasn't, that didn't seem to be the case. So, uh, that's that's my take defensively. Like, what are your other defensive thoughts? Well, I just want to get uh, I want to get your response to this real quick. You, you mentioned you texted me this a month or two ago. You were like, you know, we really need to, you know, have the idea of Matt Powledge as a first time defensive coordinator. Like, it's not possible to call plays for the first time and not have some you know learning curve uh, moments. Again, yeah. it's nothing against the guy. Like literally, anytime you're the first time doing anything, you're gonna have you're gonna it's gonna be a learning curve. So I was just kind of curious for your thoughts on uh, the game plan. Uh, whether you noticed that you felt like he made any kind of clear mistakes, or or in the sense of like that he's gonna learn from. Did you see any of that evident compared to maybe like what Roberts would have been able to do, um, kind of adjusting mid game, or just just your thoughts on Palage's first time as a play caller? Yeah, I it's it's a great call out. Um, I. You know, I don't know how much Powell has ever actually called, but Aranda has a Aranda has a pretty firm idea of whoever's on the headset is allowed to basically run run the run that side of the ball. He doesn't jump in a lot. He he gives oh he doesn't countermand on on the radios. And so the what I saw was really twofold. The first one was they stayed they stayed in their basic quarters package or tied four Tulsa. They stayed in that I think in some situations where it probably would have been better to um, not be in those things, they re- it really did seem like they were trying to basically play straight up base on standard downs and then try to get aggressive on passing downs. I think that that was probably a um, mistake. I think they should have gambled a bit more, and I think Roberts would have gambled a bit more. As soon, um, as soon as Texas State scored on like three of their first four possessions, I think that's in a situation where Roberts would have been like, "Screw it, they're going to score every <laughs> every drive anyway. May as well go balls to the wall." That's that's kind of that's kind of was my read on the situation. Yeah, and I think there there would have been some attempts to try to get to generate some negative plays in terms of can we get a can we get a run blitz on first and ten and just take our shot and see if we can get a second and twelve and if we can do a second and twelve we'll, we'll hang back and see what we can do. I think there would have been more more of that. There would have been some more. A big key where where a big thing that was obvious was on a lot of the fourth down plays. They just they basically gave it up by alignment mm-hmm. and. You it right there like that it was the type of play that you look at and go um 
if if I if I try to play this close, we're going to give up six. And they they didn't they didn't get aggressive on fourth downs in a way that I think they probably should have. Um, you just at a certain point you either like you you just have to do that. Now the flip side of that is I do think that they I think that if if I was in the coach's room and I we were able to hear them, hear them talk about what what really went wrong, I think they I think the offensive line performance was the game plan to me was indicative of someone that thought that the offensive line would be able to control the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And just that, for a brief period of context, Jeff, on PFF, which I know their ratings aren't perfect, right? But the, every Baylor offensive lineman had a rating like in the low 50s and below. Um, and that Baylor hasn't had a performance that bad since 2020. And then when I think you consider like what they're working with and then the quality of opponent, like this was probably, I think, easily the worst offensive line performance, definitely since 2020. And maybe all things considered, you know, you know, in the past, you know, of the Aranda era. 2017 was a third, you know, for the young fans out there that see that. It's funny to hear myself say that because 2017 feels like it was like three, three days ago because I'm old now. But the 2017 offensive line performance, they just it was so bad that they could not be competitive in games. Right. And it just, they, it, you know, and they won one game that year. They just could not be competitive. There were the right side of the offensive line looked like that at stretches on mm-hmm. Saturday. And I, you know, it, it's, we, we need to go and talk about this right now. I don't, I have a policy against um, individually calling out kids on, this podcast, um, there was one individual that um, had a very, very bad game. And that game was, um, they struggled enough. He struggled enough. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about gender neutral, neutral pronouns. On, on <laughs> He struggled enough that it affected the immediate people around him that you could see they felt that they could not do their jobs. And you could see that when they were coming out of their stances. And I, that's where I say that is. When you're coming out of your stance and you trust the person next to you, you go straight to where you need to be. There were a lot of times where this individual was struggling so much that you could see the players around him were kind of not doing their jobs because they were anticipating the guy next to them wouldn't be able to do their jobs. And that, like, it was just this individual that was on the ground a lot last night. It's the cardinal send of an offensive lineman. You cannot go to the ground. Like, it is just yeah. – you cannot go to the ground as an offensive lineman. This individual was on the ground a lot. Yeah, I, meant, I mentioned this to you yesterday. But yeah, I, just to, just for the fans out there, like, in one of Mateus's coaching clinics, he he's very, very explicit. He's like, you're allowed to do one of three things on any play. It's like you either have to reach, an, reach a defensive lineman, you have to turn him, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the one thing I say is you are not allowed to end up on the ground. Like, that's how you get pulled out of the game. You cannot end up on the ground. Because not only, obviously, if you're on the ground, you're not doing your job, but you're literally just impeding a running where a running back could go, too. So, uh, yeah. anyway, there was a lot of that. Yeah, and so the the right side of the offensive line was not functional, and that that surprised me. Um, I didn't. Do you think it surprised the Mateos and the offensive staff as well? I think it would have had to. To be honest, I I don't see. I don't see how you roll out with that game plan, and expect like you couldn't you couldn't expect i it, it's not realistic to expect unless you were a bad staff and i don't think they are a bad staff 
But if they had thought that that was a realistic possibility, they wouldn't have game planned the way they did defensively, and they wouldn't have game planned the way they did really offensively. I mean, they they highlighted this side of the line. They thought they had the matchups. I mean, it just it was there, and so I <clears throat> it was a very confusing experience. There's no way to put it. Like I, I'm just watching this side of the line just get roasted. And I, I think it was, I think they had a bit of a compounding issue, which was these, you know, these are all, it's, it's, these guys have not worked with each other in a game experience before. It's brand new across the board. And so I think it was a bit of a compounding experience where they, they struggled in the first, you know, 20 minutes of game time. And then, you know, they got down and the pressure got onto them. And then it just, you know, I, I, I would bet everything in my in I've ever owned in my life that the amount of shit the Texas State defensive guys were talking in the second half when those guys couldn't execute their their blocks would have been immense. So you're pissed off at the other team. You know you're getting your butt kicked. It's hot. You can't execute what you're supposed to execute, you know, and you just it kind of compounds and it snowballs and you, and you lose it. And that's that's what I think ended up happening. Um, I don't know that that's what ended up happening, but it just, it was not, it wasn't functional on the right side of the line. And if it, that doesn't get improved, like Baylor's going to win three games. Like that's just a reality sure. like, that if that's the offensive line play that they're going to get, they're going to win two or three games. I don't think that's going to be the offensive line play they're going to get. I think Mateos is a good coach. Um, and I expect that they will be significantly better. Um, later in the season, but just as we talked about how the linebackers got better, this is also a similar situation of, I don't know, I, it doesn't seem realistic to me to expect a significantly better team or better performance in the next few weeks. It's like, this is something well, they could they could improve yeah. by 20% or whatever your, you know, meaningless percentage and still, and look much worse against Utah. Uh, when in my game prep, watching their defensive front, um, it's, it's as good as Baylor has seen in the past, Three years, yeah. probably. Um, just the overall level of every dude on that front can beat you, um, and it's it's so it could, it could they could get it's, the it's offensive line could get better and they could look worse. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm yeah, sorry. Their, their defensive front reminds me of K State last year, and Baylor put up yeah. three points against K State. I mean, yeah. that's not now. They're the quarterback. Well, you know, Shapen's not going to be in, but Shapen. We, we should talk about that. Like Shapen was great, by the way. How much time Saturday. do you have left, Jeff? Uh, uh, probably another. About 15. 15. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Talk about quarterback play. Um, and so I, Shapen was amazing. Like he was amazing. I, it just, it, it, the game was so weird. I keep coming back. This is one of the reasons why I can't get to 2011. Yeah. The game was so bizarre. Like if you had come to me beforehand and said, like, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Who's going to play better? Is Shapen going to be one of the five best quarterbacks in the country, or is the <laughs> offensive line going to be one of the five worst offensive lines in the country? Right, not even close. No, there's there's no rational person outside of the outside of the building that would have gone. Oh yeah, Shapen is miraculously going to turn into a top five QB, and the offensive line is going to be a bottom five. Like just no one would have done that, and that's that's what happened on Saturday night. And so it's just it's one of the reasons why I can't be too negative is. That the QB play we saw from Shapen, like you win Big Twelve titles with that QB play. Mm -hmm. It was that good, you know. Yeah. Um, they the the wide receiver play is like y'all can't see my hands, but it's it is very close. I, I had heard that they were worried about finding a full complement of wide receivers this year. That they thought it was still going to be like one or two guys, and then by next year in twenty twenty four, they were going to have the complete 
the complete unit. That's not what I see. Like I see a, again, like uh, I see a wide receiver core that looks like it could be, you know, top three or four in the big 12 in October. I mean, yeah. legitimately. I think as long as Keytron stays healthy, that's what I would, that's the caveat yeah. I would put on that. But yeah, cause he physically, I, I know you weren't there, Jeff, but I'm sure you could see it on tape too. I mean, like he yeah. is, uh, he has it all he's physically. Yeah, he's a dude. And you, know, you look at the, you look at the overall performance and go like, are you really like it? It just seems inconceivable that if they if they just had a good right side of the offensive line play, that's like a top ten to top fifteen offense. But the right side of the offensive line is so bad that they are not competitive against Texas State. Like those two things just make no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, give me and, some. Give me your case of optimism on the offensive line here. I know you kind of talked about how you expect steady uh, improvement, but um, well, there do you are, think uh, that? Go ahead. Well, they're young. Like that's you know the Berenstein brothers aside. Like you know, particularly on the right side of the line, they've got a lot of youth. Yeah. Uh, and you know, um, Barrington, I can't ever keep the name straight. I think Clark, Clark at center, Clark. Campbell at left tackle. Yeah. So Clark, uh, Clark at center, like he's slow out of his stance. We knew this going in. There were a couple of plays where he got beaten on a lag from the nose. That's something that Mateos is going to have to figure out how to combat. That he's not quick out of his stance. But he's got great hand usage, so he makes it work. Um, he'll adjust, and if he's really, you know, he wants to. The way that the way that center typically works is your foot speed does not have to be elite. My favorite zone offensive lineman, Travis Fredrickson, who Cowboys fans will remember, who was Fredrickson, who, Jeff. Really, even I know yeah. his name isn't Fredrickson. Uh, Fredericks, whatever it is I want to call it Fredericksburg, whatever it is. <laughs> I know, like my, that's early. I need more coffee, um, but like he. Like, he had hilariously slow foot speed. Like in the draft, they the Cowboys took him at the end of the first round, and one of the reasons that people crapped all over was he ran like a five three forty or something like that. Like I mean, he just had this very slow foot speed, but his hand usage and his hips were elite, and so he made it work. And he was an elite, he was an elite center. Um, I don't, you know, Clark is not Travis. Um, but he can like you could see it with you could see it in his hands with the way that he shoots his hands out and he's able to control because he's got a lot of upper body strength. He can control those guys. Um, he can control bigger noses on top in front of him, which is something that Baylor's really struggled with the last three years. Really dating back actually all the way until you know the good Bryles teams like twenty fifteen. Baylor hasn't been able to control a good nose since about twenty fifteen, I think. And the, but the way that he was able to, to use his hands to get those guys out, he's just going to have to get used to playing next to the guys in front of him. Um, a lot of your zone blocking is knowing like there's a lot of bumping that goes on. If that makes sense, like you're going to combo block a guy, you're going to move into a guy's hip. You're going to hit this guy's hip and try to chase pain onto the second level. All of that just comes with experience and being next to the guy with the guy right next to you. My, and I also like, I think Mateos is a great coach. I really do. Um, I, I haven't seen any evidence that he's not. I know what his um, reputed, some of the guys that have come after him and tried to hire him. I know that some of that stuff is legitimate. I don't, I just don't know. I don't see a way that they're not significantly better. The question is, can they get a lot better quickly? Yeah. And good enough to matter for over the next, you know, as we started this podcast, the next 30 days, you know? Uh, you know, I, I've, I've said this a bunch, but it, it's if if you haven't heard me say it before, it's always worth remembering. Offensive line is a golf swing. 
it really is. That's and that's not something that I've said. That's something that a lot of um, NFL OL will tell you. Like it really is a golf swing. You're just out there perfecting the same set um, day after day, and you're making sure that your movements are correct. Um, can you get your golf swing a lot better in two months? Yes. Can you make massive impacts on your golf swing in a week? No. You know what I mean? Like you don't just go out to the range and it's like, okay, I put in my four hours and I'm good now. Like right. it just takes, it takes time. And I don't, that's the issue that I see with them is there's not, they need to be a lot better immediately. And I don't know that they have that. Um, one thing that I will say on offensive line, the Texas state also looked like a team that had spent every waking minute for the last six months trying to figure out how to game plan to stop that run game and look oh, yeah. for specific cues. So they were dialed in on some run blitzes in a way that I, I don't expect that most of other Baylor's opponents will be that dialed in on, but it's also, it's a flip side. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, probably Utah, um, but the, but what what the other the other flip side of that is like they there were a lot of counters that they could have pulled out, but the offensive line didn't have enough experience to be able to execute them. Mm -hmm. And so we're, it's a little bit back to that twenty twenty one early twenty twenty one where it's they just ran the same play sixty five times in a row because they until they got the wide zone nailed down, they couldn't introduce a lot of the other other stuff. The wrongest thing that I said pregame was that this should be a game where Baylor can just run wide zone on 80% of snaps and still score like 30 plus points. And that was a could not have been more wrong. Cause like if there was one thing the offense couldn't do is they couldn't run their base wide zone. And, run the base wide zone. and so that's, that's the big thing. I, I say that to get all the way through uh, offensive line. Does it guys individually will get a lot better. They will, particularly on the offensive line, playing together really really matters and so, so do you not expect to see any personnel changes on the offensive line if you had to guess for this upcoming few weeks I, it depends on i'm just not i, I don't want to single this guy out yet um i, I will see against utah i yeah. think that's going to be the best way and once you know it, it's also a matter of how do you you know how do you move your guys around because one of the things that mateos does well is he's he he tends to be very good at putting the best five on the field as opposed to necessarily the best five individual players. Like he, I, I think that he's done a very good job of building units mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, and the guys that they have out there are not. Um, I guess the best way I would use to describe it is they don't. I think he's going for that best five. And so in a couple of areas where, you know, you look at the left guard right now, like he was at right tackle last year and played a lot of RT. Could he go out there and be better than, than Williams like early on? Like the answer is probably yes. I don't think that's a maybe, but the question is, well, then who's at your left guard spot? You know what I mean? And so is that person going to be comfortable enough? If you take him out of that spot, who are you putting in at left guard? Who are you, if you're going to pull out Soraki, you're going to pull out Williams, or you're, you're not going to pull out Barrington. Sure. You don't have a, you know, he's, he's, he's good. I mean, he's on individual plays. He's, he's pretty good. You need, he just needs time to get used to it. So like what, what's the magic key that you would unlock? Um, I, there is one individual that, that I could expect to see some personnel changes. I think that also you don't want to pull, 
you don't want to pull young guys if you can avoid it because it absolutely crushes their confidence. Right. I think at, so, at best you would see maybe a little bit of rotation, um, but I, I don't expect wholesale changes. Uh, I think that's like I think you'll see some rotation at a couple of spots, um, but I don't think you're going to see wholesale changes. All right, we got five or ten minutes here left, Jeff. I want to kind of make sure we hit on two brief topics. Well, only brief because we have a short amount of time, but um, let's try and fit them both in here. I, I want you to talk a little bit about the offensive changes we can expect to see with Sawyer Robertson. Obviously, we saw him come into the game, but when he came into the game, Baylor was down by two scores. And I, one of the things I, I mentioned on, on my articles was that that was kind of a bad spot for him to be in because he is, yeah. as we talked about preseason, the way the offense is going to work with him is that it's going to be a little bit more ground and pound because his arm strength is more limited. So he's not like the true throw it down the field guy. Like he can hit like a, just a quick go ball, but he's not like a big time play action, throw it 70 yards downfield type guy. And so I think you, he operates a little bit more in this kind of like being able to use him in the QB run game and, and um, kind of eke out four to six yards at a time. So I want to make sure to talk about that. And then just any last thoughts or, or excuse me, just any thoughts you have, if you've watched Utah or kind of your expectations for the Utah game from a 30,000 foot level um, or a granular level, however you want to spend this last five or 10 minutes. Yeah. So I, on, you know, on QB, I think there. I think you're going to see a, a more of a 2021 version. I, I think that with the offensive line issues, getting an extra gap is going to matter. A random mention this. He actually said it on on the Monday presser. He was like, in some ways, you know, despite how well Shapen played, he was like Robertson could help the offensive line issues we had, and that's all he said. And so I would like for you to explain to the fans like how does how does having him help the offensive line? So the. This goes back to this goes back to GB in 2021. But when you have a quarterback that is a threat to run, there, there's two different types of running quarterbacks. There's the there is the scrambler. outside scrambler, Steve Young, Robert Griffin the third, um, Michael Vick type guy, where it's a lot of you know it's not necessarily slight, but it's a lot of speed and it's someone that you don't like. You know this guy gets loose and he's he's gone for for 40, 40 70 yards, whatever. Um, and that's what you're what a defense is really worried about in that case is containment. Like how do we keep the guy inside of the tackle box and then just let the let the pressure kind of crush down on top of him? Um, the other one though is is a is a GB type, which is this individual can run between the tackles, um, put his shoulder down. Put his shoulder down between ten to fifteen times a game. And that ten to fifteen times really matters because if 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 you're a de- if you're a defensive coordinator, you there's always there's always spots you have to be willing to give up. You're going to give up a quarterback run. You're going to just give that up if it happens three to five times a game. You just don't like, you just don't care. Like, okay, the quarterback got four to six yards on this play. Um, I don't care because they're not going to keep running him into this because if they do, he's going to die. Like you just, okay, that's cool. You, you got this. Like we'll, we'll, we'll watch forward on fourth downs and we'll watch forward. Well, and that's zone. kind of what they've done with Shapin. Like you could zone read him, but you're not going to expose him to those hits more than two or three times a game at most. Yeah. But with, with Roberts, the uh, Robertson, the issue that they're going to have is he can do that. And so if you can gain an extra gap because you have to have an extra guy in the box on standard downs because he can go into the middle of the defense or he can run his own read like literally every play, um, that fundamentally changes the math. Like you can't do the – like a a thing that we saw a lot 
um, Saturday night and then we saw a lot last year, which was these rollouts that were used, they're very ineffective because you can crash down on the edges from both sides. It doesn't matter which side you're worried about. You just blitz the edges and you don't have to worry about the rollout. Well, if you do that against Robertson, then you're there's like zero chance. You just can't do that because that means that you were outgapped in the interior of the line. So yeah. you just run. He can just power. run. Him. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an eight yard game, and so they like being able to do that is in a very weird way. I think it will significantly help out the offensive line because they're going to gain an X in two ways. The rollout game is going to come back because they won't, you won't be able to attack the edges like that. It just, it's too, it leaves you too soft up the middle. And the second one is they're going to be able to gain an extra gap and w- without, they can pull a tight end off the field and put an extra a wide receiver out there and to pull guys outside the box, they can thin out the box and force either a cover one or um, just be able to just run it up there. Because if they go, if they're in, if they're in 11 personnel and, um, if they're in 11 personnel and Utah's in a two deep shell, they can literally run zone reader QB power and pick up five or six yards. They don't have to run wide zone. Like it just, you're just out. The, the numbers are such that unless, unless your offensive line is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 that falls on the offensive lineman being able to at least somewhat hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. And so like that, that to me is what I think you're going to see. I think you're, they're going to try to put, I would expect them to not do a lot of play action in this game. Right, I, I think they're not, they're not going to want to put with the offensive line issues. They're not going to want this guy to just sit out there and just wait and take a huge shot while he swings it downfield. Yeah. I think you're going to see some very quick play action out of the gun. Yes. And then a lot of like you see, you know, you're going to be individual reads and it's going to be a one, one or two guy. And then it's going to be a dump it or, or go up the middle. Like that's going to be the play. Keep I feel, the chains yeah, and I just feel really move. good about, some games you're like, there's a lot of different ways this could go. I'm not sure how they're going to design this. I feel really strongly about this. I think Baylor yeah. is either going to score like 10 or 13 points because the offensive line is still so bad that even if they have favorable numbers, they're not going to be able to get it done. And so they're just not going to be able to move the ball. Or I actually think there's a solid chance that I, if Baylor wins this game, I feel like I know exactly how it's going to go. It's going to go with, as you just described, spreading them out a little bit and then making it very easy um either run the qb run or the running back run against a favorable box but if baylor really gets things going it's going to come from sawyer taking a two or three step drop and just throwing the ball up to keytron and Howe down the side of the field and so if baylor can eke out four yards five yards because they're able to use robertson in the run game and then hit big plays down the sideline um through just quick shots downfield that's really, I think, their only path to getting uh, 24, 28 plus points in this game, because this is not going to be like a like a 2021 late season game where they're using all sorts of different tight end sets and all sorts of different run game and able to really kind of mess with Utah's reads and kind of outnumber that like that's this is not the game to kind of do that. Uh, the Baylor's offensive line is not good enough at this point and the tight ends honestly weren't really good enough in the first game either with their blocking. So I think it's very much just going to be like either Hal and Keytron win the game outside and then Robertson's able to do enough in the QB run game to where they can open up the running back run game enough or it's just going to they're off offensive line is going to be so bad again that Baylor's going to get like score like 10 or 13. That's kind of how I feel about it. Is that kind of where you're yeah. at? I, that is where I'm at. I do think that uh, I, I expect the tight ends to play better. I, I think that they're, I actually think the tight ends play pretty well. I tight end blocking performance is one of those things that just, 
it tends to it, a little bit like offensive line play. It tends to come on now. Receiving is something you expect early on from a tight end, but it's also it's not realistic to expect college tight ends to be able to block at their at at the level that we know that they can in game one. Um, the other thing that I will say, like we didn't. <laughs> You know, they, they lost in a pretty tough fashion, so we didn't get to see this. But I am actually very interested. Like, I know I know that Aranda and that staff spent a lot of time in the offseason game planning for Utah. Like, they didn't they didn't go into it with a right. generic, like, whatever. They're going – like, they're going to have some stuff up their sleeve. I'm very interested if that stuff is still going to be viable without right. – shape it or are they going to have to go back to the basics a little bit um the last thing that i'll say on this and i, I do need to go get my kids uh to school You're but good. um the a thing that i am very interested in on on saturday is can they like baylor has to be able to baylor has to be able to to not let the game get more than two possessions away from them in the first half like that is going to be mandatory they do not have they don't have the game defensively or offensively to get into a place where they want to take a lot of chances in the second half. Baylor is going to have to come out strong early on. They're going to have to reset the crowd in the first quarter. They're going to have to play. They're going to have, there's going to be a big stop. There's going to need to be a big turnover at like the five minute mark of the first, the first quarter. And people are like, okay, maybe they're away. Like that stuff is going to need to happen because. I, I do, I do think you know. I spent all this time talking about how momentum is, you know, momentum is net, is tomorrow's starting pitcher is is the baseball phrase. Um, I spent all my time kind of not really crapping on momentum, but you know, not always falling in love with the idea of, of having juice. But it's going to really, you could feel it even on tape. Like I wasn't at the game, you could feel it being sucked out of the crowd mm-hmm. in the second. Like when they couldn't get those stops in the third quarter, it was like, okay, this is just what mm-hmm. are we doing? And they, against Utah, they have to avoid that. Like, they have to avoid the Kansas State thing where, you know, against K-State last year, um, I was at that game and I was texting you, and it just, it was, like, very evident to me after, like, two possessions that, like, Baylor had just no chance whatsoever of scoring in this game. I mean, they just, they, and that, that. K State was too big. They were too fast, and they just there was no there really was no there there. Like that game was just over. Um, I don't. They're going to have to be. They're going to have to be able to move the ball offensively, and they're going to have to show that if they get rest, the defense can hold up. They're going to have to show that within the first two possessions of each side of the ball on on Saturday, because if what we saw last week where they just they kind of tipped over and just the juice ran out and no one wanted to be there and everyone just wanted off the field um that can happen again like if utah gets up big like 10 13 something like that in the first quarter it could be a really long day so i that would be my last thing i would say on this is the first quarter is going to really really matter in this game more so than normal they can't come out and just have they can't come out for the psyche of the team and have a similar game of like we're hanging around with our even though like normally that wouldn't be an issue like normally you go in and say okay our backup qb is making his first start we just need to hang around and like if you know they're they're ranked what 13 i think 12 mm-hmm. let's just hang around and we'll make it a game in the fourth quarter that's what you that's what every coach would normally be saying in this instance i don't think that works like if you're just hanging around then you're looking at the last game going well we couldn't hang around with Texas State. We can't hang around with Utah. Like they have to come out and establish themselves early on, 
with better offensive line play and I think better linebacker play. And if they can do those two things in the first quarter, then I think they have a game. I, my, this is a, I'll say this, I'll, I'll go and put this out there. I, I'm going to be the optimist. I don't care if people come back and crap all over me. I, I really don't. I, I'm going to say Baylor wins 27 to 20. I, I just, I, I, you know, I could be totally wrong. It, it, this could be the most ridiculous thing. Like, if if this is right, if this is wrong, I would have loved. I mean, by the I way, don't, the, I don't, I don't know how Baylor holds them to twenty points. That's kind of where you know. I I, think, I know you don't have time, but I mean, I just don't. Well, I don't, well, I, I don't I, see I, it. So here's how I would say Baylor. Well, not twenty. I'll say twenty-seven to. I'll say twenty-seven twenty-five. I think that's probably more realistic. Mid twenties. I think that it's a close game. It, it's going to be a close game into the second half of the fourth quarter and i think baylor is able to grind it out offensively with that qb run and they're able to just like close out with a six minute drive and just run out the clock okay. that's well oh jeff the I, i'm gonna be optimistic about that but i i might as well because the <laughs> harshest thing that i had to deal with on saturday was apparently i i've said that jeff levy sucks and by the way jeff levy does suck um and he's not a good offensive coordinator but oklahoma fans found a tweet of mine and were very thrilled to point nice. out that um, that they put up 70 points in Baylor loss at Texas State. Yeah. So, you know, I can endure that criticism. I can sure. endure getting mocked for predicting a Baylor win. But All right, I'll wrap us up in the next 45 seconds here, Jeff. Uh, I think that if Baylor wins this game, they have to get into the 30s. I didn't see anything from Baylor defensively in the first game that tells me that they were going to be able to hold Utah under 28 or so. Um, I think if – I always try and tell fans what to watch for early on. Uh, there's three things you need to watch for in, in this Baylor game in the first quarter when Baylor's on offense. What is the first time they try and take a shot outside to Howard Keytron look like? Are they able to, you know, win outside? Um, is Robertson able to get anything done in the QB run game? Or does the first, like, one or two times they run him, does he get stuffed? If they're not able to win on the outside and if Robertson can't run the ball, Baylor might score 10 points. Um, but if they take a couple of those shots and he's able to kind of – if they can get – four or five yards that portends well not necessarily maybe forgetting their 30 points but i think it portends well for them to be able to stay competitive in the game so i'll have an official score prediction out on friday uh but jeff is going bears 70 utah 10 is that what i heard jeff um yeah so, okay baylor, so I'll, I'll 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 put words to it i'll say baylor 27 utah 24 okay well good deal there all right jeff um look forward to doing this next time <laughs> thanks y'all all right